This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin, as always. Packed show ahead for you. And a little later on, we'll perhaps get the most appropriate guest to help us preview Minnesota United against Orlando City in Adrian Heath. That's coming away in the match preview show. Before we start talking about the semi-finals of the MLS's back tournament, though, Kindred, let's rewind things, shall we? And go back to, I think, perhaps the most complete performance of the tournament so far from Minnesota United. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just an absolute shocker to anybody who was watching that match, except for maybe Minnesota United coaching staff and their players. I mean, I just don't know that. I did not expect that thorough of a heavy-handed victory by Minnesota United. Yes, they have San Jose Earthquakes number. Yes, they've been victorious now the past four times. They've clearly figured out Matias Almeida and his system and played his system like no other MLS team has. You'd think they would just take the blueprint and take the copy and, and try to emulate it, um, and maybe they will going forward. But, I mean, what a just a complete, absolute, tremendous performance by this club, tactically, technically, and just from a player standpoint. You know, you plug and play with Hassani Dotson at right back, Ja'Cory Hayes in central midfield, and then even the substitutions that were made. Uh, this was just a true... Um, team performance in my opinion and this wasn't a gutty grinded out performance this was a tactical technical you know complete performance from an attacking perspective and then the defense just held right where they have been the last few matches so it was fun to watch and I think that you know once again San Jose looked stunned didn't have any answers and they couldn't find a way to make changes even throughout the match or at halftime uh, to right the ship so well done by Minnesota capitalizing on their opportunities well as you mentioned the back line had a very good day but so did the front line and the attacking players and it all started through Robin Lurt. Six of their 13 goals have come from set pieces. That's 46% of their goals coming from situations like this thus far. Gregish right-footed ball in. It's headed away over the head of Aha and picked up by Hassani. Dotson on the edge of the penalty area. Whips back into the far post and lashed across goal. And it's turned in by Robin Lurds. Robin Lurd makes it two goals in two games and another strike against San Jose Earthquakes. And just short of 20 minutes, Minnesota United take full control here and they reach out and now start to think even this early about the semi-final stage at Orlando City. 1-0 to Minnesota United. An element of consistency about Robin Lurd. Many will say, finally... It'll do his confidence the world of good, no doubt. It will. I mean, getting on the score sheet always helps a player. And um, Robin had told us at the San Jose game in March 7th or whatever when we talked to him that he doesn't read the tweets, he doesn't pay attention to what others are saying. But ultimately, we all know that players like to contribute and help their team. And Robin Lude getting on the score sheet helps his confidence. It gets a weight off his shoulder. I uh, can appreciate everything else that he's doing off the ball, on the ball, away from the ball that's not scoring goals. But I think everyone else needed to see the ability and his effort and putting those away. Now, to me, it's about the set piece chance. It's about the header from Jose Aha. It's about Hassani Dotson playing it back across the far post. And um, Ja'Cory Hayes told, told us in the recap show, Jose Aha did everything right on that header. Head it back across the face of the goal. Give your teammates an opportunity to bury it. You know you don't have the angle. You don't have the power to put it on frame yourself. And that's what Robin did. He 
put himself in a position to finish. He didn't give up on the play. Just so many things went right with that one. And it was fun because Minnesota wasn't done yet. And I think the piling on of the goals and the quick succession helped that confidence and helped that momentum. Now, there was one adjustment to the lineup with Roman Metzenier being injured. That meant Hassani Dotson shifted into right back. Ja'Cory Hayes made his first start for Minnesota United, a full debut for the former FC Dallas midfielder. And it's safe to say it went rather well. Ozzy Alonso has support on the right-hand side, which you'll find with Dotson to the left of the penalty area. Dotson cuts inside and strikes with the left foot through the legs of the defender. And it's prodded in. It's prodded in by Ja'Cory Hayes. A dream debut for Ja'Cory Hayes for Minnesota United, who reach out and touch the semi-final already. Ja'Cory Hayes off the mark in black and blue, and Minnesota lead by two here. Ja'Cory Hayes, Kendra, perhaps showing he can offer a little more than what we originally expected. Yeah, and you know, I mean, when we did that recap show with him, it's like you it was days later and you couldn't wipe the smile off his face. And it wasn't just about him contributing and, and um, scoring the goal. It was about his team's win. You saw him when he immediately went to the corner flag, to the side, to the guys that are warming up that have been a part of his daily routine since he arrived in Minnesota, um, not being a part of the traveling squad the first couple games, fighting for his time, not giving up, just the hard work and the effort, um, and just a real true professional. And just crazy to think that he's only 24, but he just has so many minutes and experience under his belt. And it's, it was nice to see him be rewarded for that. And he stepped right in. There was no hesitation on his positioning, playing centrally. There was a confidence on the ball. Even when he came in as a substitute the other night, I felt the same thing. A confidence on the ball. He didn't hesitate. He looked poised. He looked composed, helping control that midfield with Jan and, and Ozzy. And I think that, um, you know, good for him to get the finish, but another opportunistic chance where he didn't give up on the play. He found himself in the right spot at the right time, and he buried it. And I think that there's just so many things with this club and this determination of making sure that you're making the run in the box to reward your teammate who's making the effort to get it in there and find you. Hassani was the, the situation this time, you know, making the effort down the right-hand side and not giving up on the play. So you don't have a ball trickling across the six that someone's worked so hard to get it in and no one's there. Instead, Minnesota, you have two or three or four bodies inside that box waiting to get on the end of it. And that's fun to see from this club. And it was a nice moment for Ja'Cory Hayes. Must admit, at that stage as well, I know it was early in the game, but I thought it was game over because psychologically, I thought San Jose looked like they were completely gone at that stage. Well, and I think just the way the game, the goals came, the quick succession those two goals came, the way the the flow of the game was going, Minnesota could not, or I mean, San Jose could not do the things that we're used to them seeing. Tommy Thompson, Espinosa were barely on the ball. Nick Lima and Vaco were barely on the ball in dangerous positions at that point. We're not seeing these crosses whipped in and you know players getting to the end line and dribbling it. There was no. Um, control of the game by Jackson Ewell. All these things that Minnesota did so well to take apart San Jose and, and pick apart the things that they were doing well and why they were dominating in this tournament. Minnesota just ticked them off like checks on a box one by one. Nope, Jackson Ewell, nope. Espinosa, no. Nobody's getting forward on the wings. And I just think that then scoring, capitalizing on your chances, the flow of the offense, um, I think all those things, Adrian Heath and, and the club just had it well planned out. And the underdogs made sure it was indeed their day through Luis Amaria, who made it three. In the end, it's cleared away by Dotson, and now Alonso has the ball into the feet of Robin Lourdes. Hayes helps it forward, and Lourdes 
prods it past the halfway line into Luis Amaria. Amaria on the edge of the penalty area, twisting and turning. Amaria scores! Luis Amaria with Minnesota's third goal here. And the Loons thrust their fist in the face of adversity and lead by three goals to one. Comfort once again. And the Loons now lead here. Well, some really uh, intriguing build-up play by Minnesota United there and finished comprehensively by Luis Amaria. Yeah, I think, you know, the combination play coming out of the of your own half is really an important piece for Minnesota United because there are going to still be those opportunities where you're going forward in transition and you need to find a way to break out and beat the opposition. And I think they did that there. It was a ball out of the back. It finds Robin Lud. He slots it to Amaria, who made a perfect run off the shoulder. He kind of stepped to the left-hand side of his defender to open up that space and that path for Robin to play it into and Robin played a nice weighted ball in and then you could see Luis he's constantly looking up Do, does he have an option centrally and that's the thing about Luis of course he wants to get a goal himself but he also is a passer he's also a teammate he understands that you're going to do what you need to do to get the goal regardless if it's him or somebody else Ethan Finley is making that run down the middle but San Jose did well enough to kind of keep Ethan at bay. And Luis knows it's his only option, and he gets it on that left foot. Not his favorite foot, but he takes it and he beats him and he drills it nice, nicely near post to beat the goalkeeper. And I think that you could feel and you could sense and you could see the weight being lifted off of Luis's shoulder as well. The celebration, the pointing at the crest on the chest multiple times, going over to the camera, the celebration from the teammates. And you just have to wonder if now the goals are going to continue to come because – He's a goal scorer. He's a number nine. That's what you need. You need that confidence, even though you know you have the ability. Um, you got to do it in a game, in a pressure situation. And he had three defenders sitting behind. You know, there wasn't just the guy on the ball. There was a couple others behind him. And he took it on that left foot and buried it. And it was fun to see that for, for Luis and for the whole team. And now you felt like now you got, again, you got that two-goal lead back. And it was important for Minnesota at that point. And finally, Matias Almeida's continental plan was torn to ribbons by Marlon Hairston and Minnesota United's fourth. Headed away by Cashier and picked up by Ozzy Alonso midway through the San Jose half and now picked up by Hassani Dotson who thought about the effort. He moves inside the penalty area, plays it across and it is for Marlon Hairston with the goal. Definitive and decisive in front of goal. Minnesota United make it four and you simply can't ignore them now. 4-1 with five minutes to play. Minnesota United leads. Orlando awaits. Icing on the cake for Minnesota and a confidence boost for Marlon Harewood. I don't Heston. think, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can ask for much more from from your substitute, first of all. He, he missed a wide-open chance earlier, so the fact that he buried this one. I think that, again, when we talk about checking and ticking the boxes, you can't ask for much more from that group on the night because you got three of the four goals from guys you probably wouldn't have guessed. Luis, you're assuming, is going to start scoring at some point, but Robin Lud, Ja'Cory Hayes, and Marlon Harrison. And you also got performances from players like Asani Dotson, Ja'Cory Hayes, and Marlon coming off the bench. And Raheem Edwards did well when he came in the game as well. So you make these substitutions. You have all this depth in these guys that are just, you know, carrying the load and, and still missing Kevin Molino. You did all this without Kevin Molino. And I think that um, is a confidence builder. For, and Ike Opara. I mean, again, we, we talked about this the first how many ever matches. Everyone's saying, like, oh, now we're not even picking Minnesota United to make it out of the group now that Ike Parr is not coming. Well, I think these are all things that Minnesota United and this roster and this group of guys, you can see the, 
the way they're cohesive in the locker room and they're enjoying each other's company. And even though they're stuck in this bubble for five or six weeks, why not take it all the way? And so Marlon buries that one again, puts himself in a position inside the box to finish a chance that comes across, making himself available for a teammate. This is all about playing for each other and playing for this group. And I think you could see it come to fruition in this match. Apologies, though. I've just been reminded of a very bleak time in the history of Aston Villa Football Club by mentioning Marlon Harewood. That's a name that I won't utter <laughs> again. I <laughs> wonder what you were saying. I didn't even notice you said it. <laughs> I saw you shudder over there. Yeah, there will be plenty who will recognise that name for sure. Let's not talk about that, shall we? Um, let's move on and talk about uh, an individual that was full of positives, and that was Hassani Dotson, who seems to be the utility man that Minnesota United have needed for some time. He just seems to glisten wherever he plays for the Loons. Well, and, you know, I, I heard some chatter and I was listening to some different podcasts some different, you know, uh, audio of, you know, different pundits talking about this match for Minnesota United and Hassani Dotson's performance and just, you know, what this means for him going forward. We knew he was already in the mix for the 23s. Unfortunately, the Olympic doesn't happen. And, you know, just a real bright spot on this roster, even as a rookie last year, stepping in, playing right back, left back, center, midfield, whatever you needed from him and scoring some real banger of goals. But I don't think this means that he replaces Roma Metzenier when he's healthy, you know, because that was kind of the conversation. It was like, well, you can't take. They offer different things. I think Hassani's a little bit more of an attacking player. You saw him cut inside. He's comfortable in the midfield. So as a right back, he can offer you that. Um, and Roman is more up and down on the right-hand side, gets in on the attack, but more end line and serves it in. I think what it means is Hassani Dotson is a real revelation coming out of Oregon State a second round pick number 31 overall and I think that Minnesota United got this one right and you don't always know what you're going to find in the later rounds the second third fourth round whatever it might be for the MLS draft and he since day one the coaching staff has been impressed with his work rate his sponge enos his ability to want to soak things up let's just call it that his ability and willingness to want to learn he's asked for video he asks sam lawson for video he creates his own video he wants to watch videos on holding midfielders across the world on ozzy alonzo to learn from him every day and now probably some right backs out there and mm. some other positions so um i think that you know it's a real comfort level for adrian heath and this staff to know that you can put players like that in even in their second year and that you're not going to miss a beat defensively or offensively and, you know, I think you'd ask anybody on the back line and they probably feel pretty good about that, too, if you're sitting behind Asani Dotson. Whilst we're talking of the back line, let's take a brief respite from the tournament, shall we? A new loon arrived yes. just the other day. Bakai Dibassi comes in from Amiens in Ligue 1. Um, intriguing signing. What did you make of it when you first saw it? Much needed. I mean, and, and when I, and, and you know, and I saw your tweet and we both kind of talked about depth and saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, he's coming in as the backup. He's coming, he's going to be presumably, I'm assuming at some point, the starter in that position once he gets his feet under him, gets over here to the United States, gets acclimated to the league and to Minnesota and everything else. But knowing his pedigree and his experience, you would assume that that's going to be a real, a real fun battle, I think, to watch at that left back spot because Chase Gasper is not going to give it up easily. But ultimately what I think is, is that it's important to have depth at that position. It's important to have depth at the left center back spot. So to have another left footed defender is you, you know, no one's going to ever, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, 
not an embarrassment of riches, but the more players that solid players you can have in every position, the better. You don't want to be looking around going, oh, geez, now what happens? Chase just got hurt. Chase got a red card. Chase is going on international duty, whatever it might be. And same with that left center back spot with uh, Michael Boxel that I just think this is this is a fantastic signing that's been in the works for a long time for Minnesota United. And if you can make any comparison to Roma Mentonier, give it to me all day long. Mm. And maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic, a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know if he's faster than Roman Metzner because they play, you know, I, Roman's pretty fast. I don't know if he has a third lung like Roman Metzner. We'll find out when he gets here. But just knowing the experience in the leagues that he's played in and his sort of his pedigree and what he's going to bring to the table, hopefully he fits just in. And personality-wise, I'm sure Minnesota has done the research because that was a huge piece too is the chemistry. How do you fit in and come into this group? And, you know, we've seen it with Roman Metzner. Like he is probably the most liked guy on the on the squad and um, just a real joy to be around. So hopefully this guy fits in just the same way chemistry-wise and on the field. I think he's going to be a massive addition. Steve McPherson and I spoke about this on Sound of the Loons, which of course you can find on MNUFC.com. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Kendra, with your footballing mind. Um, I, and, and look, I've not spoken to anybody, so this could be completely wrong, but... Having watched tape on him now, mm-hmm. no doubt he can play at left back, mm-hmm. and it's a good piece to have um, should it ever be needed. But I think he's coming in to start at centre back. Okay, I genuinely think he's coming in to start at centre back, and he's a left-footed centre back, mm-hmm. which, as you know, mm-hmm. having a left-footed centre half and a right-footed centre half, it mm-hmm. can help you with balance tremendously. Yep. I also wonder as well. Give me your thoughts on this. We've seen Adrian Heath adapt from time to time when they go to, uh, in inverted commas, the more difficult away opponents, mm-hmm. whether it's Atlanta or it's LAFC mm-hmm. or what have you. And he's operated in a 3-5-2. Mm-hmm. I wonder then if you can have something like a Boxall, mm-hmm. an Opara and a Debassi mm-hmm. in that back three. And the balance looks quite good with Debassi using his left foot as a left centre-back. And you can then have Metanier, and I'm assuming it would be Gasper on the left-hand side, right. operating in a five-man back line. Yeah, I, and that's a very good shout. You know, that 3-5-2 that morphs into a 5-3-2 when you're, you know, attacking versus defending. Um, I think that would be... And let's not forget, we're still assuming that Ikapara is going to be back and healthy and playing right. when the regular season resumes. So mm. when, again, we talk about depth... You know, does then when, let's say for some reason, Ikapara is not ready to go. And then does Boxel slide over to the right center back and Yubiasi can play left center back? I mean, so I, again, I think this is all just good options. These are good things. These are good problems to have. These are solutions to problems that may come up or come about, but all good things when you have good players that you can slot in. I mean, we've talked about other teams and other rosters and other MLS rosters where like, you know, you have seats, a guy coming off the bench, Valeri coming off the bench. You know, so I think that, you know, no one's ever going to question when you're adding quality depth to your roster and no one should ever be um, bemoaning it if you're on the current roster because you're afraid that that's your spot. What that means is this is competition and that everybody gets better with competition. Adrian has said that from day one, that competition, you know, breeds excellence. It makes everybody want to be better. It makes training every day better when you're competing for those spots. So I think that's a depth piece. I could absolutely see it in the 3-5-2, system with the three center backs and Boxel sitting centrally in those three and we our outside backs kind of already operate as wing backs anyway. Um, in the attack and they have the ability and the stamina to get back defensively so that's just another you know bonus when you bring in a player like that who is left-footed and a boxel who can slide left central right 
you know, we just saw Boxel practically operating as a 10 the other night against San Jose with his ability to dribble and bring the ball up. So these are all good things for Adrian Heath and, and his staff to be pondering and dealing with going forward. And again, Ike Parra's health, you know, probably the biggest question mark out of all that. But now you have another option if that and Jose Aha, who's done a fantastic job in this tournament. So this is some quality depth you've got on that back line and um, all good, you know. You're, one time you're like, ah, we have too many wingers. What are we going to do with all these wingers? And then two or three go down injured. And then now you're like, well, now we don't have. So now if you have someone go down or needs a rest or whatever it might be with this schedule and this craziness of this year, with that back line, you have someone else to slot right in. What a tremendous headache to have. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. So let's move back into the tournament, shall we? We saw last week Philadelphia Union thumping sports in Kansas City to earn a spot in the semifinals. Um, they go up against Portland Timbers this week, who I think rather comprehensively and perhaps surprising to many, Kendra, got the better of New York City FC. What did you make of that game? You know, I picked NYCFC in that game. I really thought that they were flying high, and that's, you know, not a knock on Portland, but just when I was looking at sort of the matchup and the way that Portland had won their games, and then also, again, with Morales back in there for NYCFC, just thinking that they were, he was pulling all the strings and they just looked comprehensively like an insanely confident team. But then Morales starts on the bench and, um, you know, I thought Portland just played that game superbly. They had some really good chances. Um, Valeri can come off the bench, you know, which I don't think he's going to, I wouldn't label him a super sub role like you do Wando right now. I don't think Valeri wants to be in there, but they were resting him. You know, he had played, I think, 90 minutes the game prior. The schedule's kind of crazy. He's getting a little older. Blanco, I think, has really elevated his game in this tournament. He's always been a great player, but I think he has, especially when Valeri's not in there, I think he's just elevated it to a different level of creativity and movement and ability to find others. Um, Abobasi has looked dangerous inside the box. I think, um, you know, I think Diego Char is starting to maybe show a little bit of age, but ultimately I think Portland controlled this game start to finish. NYCFC didn't really look like they had, um, the same mojo that they had in the last match and maybe bringing Morales off the bench was a mistake because it felt like by the time he got in there, he wasn't really able to make a mark on the match. So I think it was the right winner in this game. But I think this Philly-Portland uh, matchup will be interesting. A professional performance from Portland Timbers, no doubt about it. Um, an intuitive display, which I think was complimented wonderfully by a fabulous finish from Andy Polo from the yes, edge of the penalty yes. area. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to this stage at some stage, Kendra, where we have to talk about the goal of the tournament. Is that mm -hmm. in the conversation? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, there have been some good ones. There have been some great ones. I think that was a fabulous finish. And I don't know if some of it, too, do you, does it leave a bigger mark on you mentally when it's maybe comes from someone that you don't expect it? Like, if it's a Diego Rossi just you know, sick goal compared to Polo's goal or, you know what I mean? Like yes. when it comes from someone that you're just like, it shocks you. It's like when Hassani scored his bangers last year and you're like, whoa, takes you back almost. Do you think that makes, does that make a bigger mark on you mentally when maybe it comes unexpectedly? I think yes, but it doesn't mean it should. <laughs> yes, but I, but I, ag I agree with you. I'm mm. in the same boat. You know, I think it kind of blows your mind sometimes when you see these players that you're not used to seeing step up and strike a ball that way and they do. Um, as opposed to the guys that are kind of expected. But that for sure should go down in one of those finishes. I mean, but we've seen a couple that just curl around the, you know, the back line or the, the set piece early on in the tournament. 
Um, you know, I think there's just been a lot of fabulous finishes, and you're seeing the strikers and the attacking players start to get their form as the tournament has gone on, um, whereas maybe everyone was a bit rusty early in the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we wrap up this particular segment, Kendra, let me push you a little here and get some sort of a prediction because should Minnesota advance against Orlando into the final, they'll play either Philadelphia Union or Portland Timbers. Where do your allegiances lie there? Well, Portland would be juicy. We've already beaten them once this season, so that would be uh, you know a good, nice Western Conference matchup from a familiarity standpoint. I think Philly's going to come out victorious in this game. Um, I don't think Casper, <clears throat> Shabilko, and I don't think everybody is playing their best but I think that they've gotten better as the tournament has gone on as well. And you have a player like Bedoya who can sit centrally and just kind of control it. And then Aronson, who is, continues to find his form, and hopefully the pressure doesn't get too much for him, as so many people have been talking about him. And you have McKenzie, again, who's flying high. So I think that ultimately, um, I think Philly's going to win the game. But I think Portland would be the more fun matchup just because of the familiarity, knowing that Minnesota already got their number this year. God, the taste buds start yes. to drool again. <laughs> uh, well, it's been weird not having any games. Like, this is just, I've you know, I feel like I've been withdrawals. I've been trying to soak up hockey and other things, but it's just not filling the void of this MLS's back tournament that we've gotten so accustomed to watching every night. Yeah, it's going to be really, really good, these semifinals. Uh, so keep your eye on Portland against Philadelphia because should Minnesota advance, that's who they'll play in the final. But first, they have to get the better of Orlando City. We'll feature that with Adrian Heath next. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Hello there and welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin here as always and now. As we said a little earlier, perhaps the biggest and best guest we've ever had on this podcast and the most appropriate guest to help us preview this next match for Minnesota United against Orlando City in the semifinals of the MLS's back tournament. Welcome to the podcast, head coach Adrian Heath. Gaffer, how are you doing? I thought you were describing somebody else when you said somebody really important, Cal. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, in terms of this particular game, Gaffer, there's nobody more suitable to help us preview this, is there not? Yeah, well, it's been just like, it's been a, a busy few days um, since the the sort of the tie was sort of came to fruition, shall we say? And uh, I've probably spoke more about Orlando than I have Minnesota in the last. Uh, 36 hours and I've got another two or three interviews after this all with uh, Florida-based companies so you know it's it, it shows that the six and a half years I was here I think people appreciated what I did so but that'll be nice. Yeah absolutely and there won't be much change of subject here for you unfortunately as well. Um, you mentioned Orlando City so let's get straight into it shall we obviously it's a team that you've said in the past but will always be more than just another football team to you. Yeah, you know, I I think you know me pretty well, Cal, and I, I I wear my heart on my sleeve with my job. I, I I really I really enjoy my job, and I put everything I've got into it. And you know, I remember arriving in, in Orlando, in Florida, you know, back in what was it, thirteen, fourteen, whatever. I can't even remember now. And doing an interview with a guy called Pat Clark, who was Mister Mister TV down in Florida. And after the interview with me and Phil Rawlings, you know, these two English guys are bringing this, this soccer game to Florida. And after the interview, he said to me, 
thanks for everything, guys, and good luck, but you've got no chance. That was what he said. So, you know, four years later, we opened this. We play in the Citrus Bowl in our first MLS game in front of 62,000. You know, we put an awful lot in to, to make the club what it was. You know, I talk about the the Iron Lion firm and the Ruckus, which are the supporters groups down here. You know, I know them personally because we had to go out and sort of drag people to the game. So I put an awful lot into it. So, as I say, it, it will never be just another football club to me. You know, I've got incredible memories of going from nothing to doing what we did, you know, unfortunately I wasn't there for the opening of the stadium, but had a hand in designing the stadium and, you know, picking the colours for the what they play in. So, yeah, it's 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 a different situation. And but as I said yesterday, the people in Orlando who I've got to know really really well, the supporters groups, they know I'm a professional guy now, and my sole sole working every day is waking up trying to make Minnesota the club that we all want it to be. So then how do you balance, you know, sort of when when you get let go and released from a club and you but you put so much heart and soul and energy and, you know, as you said, blood, sweat and tears, basically, in making that club what it was. How do you balance maybe when you leave that, you know, you are, are you wanting them to do well? Are you wanting them to struggle? What do you make of their last, you know, three, four years and the coaching changes and the carousel that's been going on there and then ultimately leading to Oscar Pereja being, you know, named head coach most recently and what he's done with the club in this short time? Well, I think you, you go through the the, the, the the stages of grieving, don't you? you? You get angry in the beginning because, you know, we spoke about having a three-year plan and 18 months in and it's still to this day the best record they've ever had so it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. you know we missed out on the playoffs in the last game of the season the first year round so you know the, the record that they have you know I, i'm very proud of what we did but no i've got to the stage now kendra there's been a lot of water under the bridge this this club is unrecognizable from the club that i left i think there's three or four people left in the club it's mainly an hispanic club now it's south american or central american brazilian driven so it's changed enormously. But the, the, the people that matter the most are the supporters. who they, They're the guy, and like any football club, that make the club what it is. So now I, I've got to the stage now where I want them to do well. I think they've done a... a I think they had a really good hire in, in Oscar. You know, he's done a really good job in a very short period of time. You know, people forget he's only been here since the start of the season. I know it seems a long time ago with what we've gone through, but that's not a long time in, in a managerial um, position to sort imparting and, and mold that club into the club that you want. And I think he's done an excellent job to get it where it is now. Yeah, let's dive into that a little deeper, shall we, Gaffer? Oscar Pereja and the iteration of this Orlando City. How have things changed and, and what has Oscar Pereja changed? Well, Oscar's come in, obviously, as I said, it, it, you know, the, the, the DNA of the club is completely different now. It's, it's very um, South American driven. You look at the players, you look at the staff. Um, and Oscar's, you know, you look at what he did in Colorado, you look at what he did in Dallas. He's very good at building, you know, and he's come into, as he said the other day, probably a better club than he anticipated. And now he started to put his stamp on it. They're very well organized. They're very well drilled. They like to play football. You know, they always play with a number 10. And, and young kid Perea is a very, very good player. So, you know, they, they, they're a well drilled unit. And he's, well, the one thing he's got, you can see, a little bit like ourselves, you see the reaction of the team and the staff when they score a goal or when they win a game. They're obviously very together. 
you know, they've worked really hard in this bubble. They were, I think, the second team down here. You know, so they've they've spent a lot of time together. So they they they're a they're a very good group at this moment in time, playing with a lot of confidence, and that's always a difficult team to play against. A little bit like ourselves, who are on a little bit of a roll. So, you know, they're going to present an awful lot of problems for us. What area of the field for Orlando do you have to pay the most attention to? If you had to pick somebody on that roster or a group, is it the midfield? Is it the attacking pieces? I mean, we know Dom's out and Tesho's in, but is there something when you watch their matches that you're just like, okay, this is where when we're watching film, we got to shut this piece down and we can shut the offense down. Yeah, we, we, we went through it the other day and we showed the guys a lot of clips. I think down the right-hand side with Mueller and Ruan. Ruan's a ridiculous athlete, incredible energy to run up and down. And Chris Mueller now is starting to put a little bit of quality to the only energy he has. And the little combination play that they have down that right-hand side, I think is going to be crucial during the game. I think that Chase and uh, Robin, who will play down that side, have got to really communicate and make sure they're on the same page because they do a lot of interchanging, play a lot of one-twos, and they've both got energy. They both want to run in behind, which is always a problem. So I, I see that as a big area. Obviously, Nani is not what he was, but he has them little moments of brilliance. you know. So they, they have little things that, you know, if you don't take care of them, and at times LAFC didn't take care of them and, and, and you know they hurt you with that so I have no no doubt that we're going to have to play as well as we did against San Jose, San Jose to win the game on uh, tomorrow night Gaffer we spoke to Chase Gasper a few days ago as well and, and he insinuated that this is perhaps the, the closest knit group that he's ever played with and, and there seems to be the opinion that this group is is very very close what do you attest that to? Well, I mean, five weeks living with each other, that does that helps. <laughs> but uh, no, we, we, we made a conscious effort. We, you know, last year we, we spoke about changing, going into the third year, changing the sort of DNA of what we want to be represented by. And we made a conscious effort to, to try and bring the right characters in. We, we made a conscious effort to try and bring, bring people in who want to work hard, who want to run, who want to be at the club for the right reasons. And, you know, when I look back at, uh, like the Jacoriers, Raheem Edwards, um, Marlon Hairston, Aaron Schoenfield. You can keep going on. These guys have come in and have been incredible teammates. You saw the reaction of the rest of the team when Jacori got his goal the other night because they, they, they understand that when you train every day like he does and there's no reward at the end of it because you don't play, it's frustrating. But I tell you, he, the, the kid has gone on with it every single day. He brings his best every single day. He's a great teammate. He's a great professional. And you see the reaction of everybody. They're just genuinely pleased for him. And that's what we've got at this moment and this time. You know, it's it's an old cliche. We always talk about it. You know, the collective is more important than the individual. I always talk about the, the badge on the front of the shirt is always more important than the name on the back of it. And they bought in to all that. And um, I think you can see that in the way that they... They, they react to each other when things go well for each other. So it bodes well, not only for tomorrow, but for the future. And we have to keep building on that. And we have to keep, you know, making sure that that's the mantra of what we want the club to be moving forward. 
What would you say about your team attacking and going forward? Because you clearly have an identity as far as a system that you've always liked to play, whether it was a 4-2-3-1 or maybe morphed into a little bit of a 4-3-3, depending on the, the personnel yeah. that you have currently. But what would you say? It seems to me that there's some versatility and flexibility there from you guys. You've shown different ways to score and attack that yeah. maybe others have not thought that you could. Well, we've we've changed the shape a little bit. Um but the one thing that's the constant has been the, the players' uh, application of what we've asked of them. You know, I know that when we came in, I knew the, the most important game for us was going to be the first game against Kansas. You know, people underestimate. We hadn't played 11 the 11 when we got here. You know, we had four months off. You know, you normally play, what, anything between six and eight games in a preseason. We, we hadn't played a game for four months. That's longer than any of the players have ever not not been involved in a match. So I knew we were undercooked when we got here and then we managed to pull it out. But we pulled it out with a little bit of organisation, you know, an incredible determination and application of what, we've, what we're what we talking about. So we've, we've played a little bit different. We've, we've played, you know, in a, in a low block, letting people come on to us. We played in a mid, mid block where we sort of start at the centre circle. And then we played like we did against San Jose where we've been on the front foot you are not going to play through us. You're going to have to play over the top of us. You're going to have to play long, you know, and that's what, the, you know, we've spoke about. And that's when I get pleased when people say to me, what pleases you most about the team? It, it's just the fact that they do it, what we ask of them and they go and try and do everything that you do, that you ask of them on a Monday to Friday before the game on a, of a weekend. And if we can go to the game plan again tomorrow, I think we have enough to win this game. I really do. And just finally, Gaffer, before we let you go to your gazillion other interviews, just curious on yeah. your thoughts of the tournament as a whole across the entirety of Major League Soccer. Um, I think it's been incredibly difficult for the players. Don't underestimate, guys, what the players have been going through. You know, 20 hours a day in a bedroom, that's not easy for anybody, me included. So that's off to all the players, not just our players, the people who've been down here. You know, we've been here now, I think it's 39 days. And you know, hopefully there's another week to come. You know, I can't wait to get home, but hey, another week, I'll, I'll certainly settle for that. I just think that the, the, the tournament's been incredibly well organised. You know, the, the MLS have done an incredible job of trying to make it as easy for the players and the staff as they could. The facilities are excellent. Um, but I can't lie, Cal. I can't wait to get home, even to see your face. <laughs> <laughs> It's something I didn't expect to hear today on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Must be desperate. Gaffer, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Adrian Heath, head coach of Minnesota United. And of course, in case you were unaware, former Orlando City manager, no doubt about it, Kindra, this game means an awful lot to him tomorrow. It does, you know, and I think I was trying to get at the point where it's like this weird combination where you're, of course, you go through that grieving process because you've been let go from a club and do you want them to do well? Do you not want them to do well? But I think ultimately there's just such a respect factor, especially now for Oscar Pereja and for the players on that that team that you know there's a little bit of separation not a lot of people in the upper echelons of the organization that were part of the group that let him go even the success that he was having at the time that they released him so I think um you know ultimately he's a competitor he wants to win we all saw we were there in 2018 when Minnesota United went to Orlando City and won that game on that field and I think that was probably more meaningful than any other win he's going to get against that uh his former club because it was at that stadium that he helped 
design that he helped build in that moment, and it was first his first return. So this one would mean a lot because it means you're on to the final. So it's going to be a great matchup and the the meeting of two minds, I think, between Adrian Heath and Oscar Pareja and trying to game plan for the opposite, uh, for the opponent in this one. Let's not forget as well, um, if they're playing the game on the main field at the, the sports complex in Kissimmee, it's actually formally... Orlando City in USL, it's formerly their home ground as well. So there'll be an even extra emphasis to win on literally old stomping ground for Adrian Heath. It'll be fascinating, really can't wait. The million-dollar question I've got for you, Kendra, and it involves another former Orlando City individual. Mm -hmm. Does Kevin Molino come back into the fray? You know, I was just about to mention that, and um, a luxury, I think, that they didn't need to use him in the San Jose game because we were told that he is available on the bench. It wasn't He wasn't just sitting on there because you can dress everybody. It was he is available if needed. I think we saw him warm up a few times. We saw it from the camera shots. So I think that we will see Kevin Molino in this match. It, I, I don't know if you start him. I don't because I don't know if you upset the apple cart. I mean, you know, Adrian Heath, he's going to stick with what's been working. You've just crushed San Jose four to one. You had these pieces that, uh, you know, filled in just quite nicely. So I think a luxury to have Kevin Molino and the ability for him to come off the bench, depending on what the game dictates. So in that case, would you take a rather unfortunate Jacory Hayes out of the lineup? If Kevin Molino if came Molino's in the available. Off the bench. I, I would start. Oh, I right. would Sorry, start. Okay. Yeah, I would start to Corey Hayes. I would keep the way that you just played. I don't know that Roman Metanier is going to be available by the sounds of the media availability this week. It sounded like he wasn't, mm. but we'll see. Um, but I would keep it exactly the way it was. I would not change a thing about that starting 11. And then, depending on what the game dictates, Kevin Molino would come off the bench at some point. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, in, in terms of Orlando City then, yes. how do Minnesota United get the better of them? Where are they the weakest? Oh, man, you know, gosh. I think that, um, I think maybe a little bit similar to what we saw with LAFC, if you can take advantage of when Orlando City does push forward and press and then get them on the counter. So you're going to need some more of that, that, that connecting passing, almost like we saw Luis Amaria's goal. If you can get the quick outlet, Robin Lloyd finds Luis Amaria, and then you find, you know, some space. Their center backs are actually playing really well. Their goalkeeper is having a phenomenal tournament. They've really sharpened up. I think Ori Roselle is, you know, kind of looking rejuvenated in that central Perea. So I think it's going to have to be on that counterattack. Orlando City will press early, and then if they don't win the ball early, then they'll drop. So if you take advantage of one pass, one long pass, whether it's between Jan, it's Ozzy, it's Robin, it's, um, you know, Jacory finding that one long outlet pass to break that first line of defense and then get in behind, that would be my guess. There isn't one side of the field, per se, right or left. I think it's just going to be that first pass out of transition from back to mid and then find the next long ball um, through. Uh, that that would be my guess because Orlando does like to really press high. They like to try to force the turnover in your defensive third of the field, and it's going to be that quick outlet in transition to go forward and then with numbers. That would be that would be how I would get at Orlando City if you have the chance. But they're playing well in a lot of areas of the field right now, and I don't know if Chris Mueller is healthy for sure. Right, that right. makes a difference too. Um, his attacking prowess on the right hand side. Let, let's assume Mueller is available. Mm -hmm. um, fabulous player as Adrian Heath has said earlier on and, and really now starting to mature I think um, is there perhaps on evidence 
um, an opportunity to suggest to the Loons' backline to be a little more reserved than what they usually are because of the threat from out wide. We mentioned Mueller, should he play? Nani, on his day, can beat just about anybody as well. Psychologically as well, Hassani Dotson going up against somebody like Nani as well, I'm sure, will play its part. Um, am I overthinking this, or, or would you perhaps say, let's be a little more reserved, let's perhaps even go a little more direct today? I would tell the outside backs to stay home a little bit more. I think that, that again, you've, you come into that battle of who gets on the front foot first when we have these wing backs that like to go forward, these outside backs. So sometimes if you get on the front foot first, then you're forcing them to stay home, which is always a benefit. But I do think that uh, ultimately, I think that Minnesota will want to keep their shape, stay more reserved, stay home. That doesn't mean you're packing it in. There's not some low block. There's not some you're just sitting across the back four. I think Hassani Dodson will still pick his moments. And that is the benefit of an Ozzy Alonso, is that when someone like Hassani does pick his moment to go forward, assuming he's starting at right back, or Chase Gasper picks his moment to go forward, you have a player like an Ozzy Alonso who can drop right in and fill in and help on the back line or even a young Greg who's just sat a little bit lower at times when the game has dictated it and, and helped to cover. But I think ultimately, I think you let Robin Lloyd, you let Ethan Finley, you let them do the majority of the work with whoever is up top. And assuming it's Ja'Cory Hayes as well, let's try to see if from an attacking standpoint if they can get the job done on some of the quick outlets in this space. And, um, you know, the combination play between Luis and Robin and Ethan on the right-hand side sometimes tucking in I think I would tell Chase and, and Hassani to stay home just a bit more than they did against San Jose. Do we perhaps expect Orlando to be a little more direct with knowing that, well, knowing, assuming it'll be Tesco Akindeli starting up front. Uh, they sometimes go direct even with Dom Dwyer up front as well, but now you do have a much more sterner body up there. Well, and I think that that's going to be the game plan for Orlando City. I right. think Tesho is tall. He has a big body. He's going to try to stay central, sit between the two center backs. Um, he does have a tendency to want to go side to side and, and find his space on the wings. And it's from what I've seen and what I've heard, um, Oscar has been very adamant on telling him to stay central and let Mueller and let Nani, let those players find the space out wide and then find you centrally. Um, so I do think that Tesho is a fantastic outlet. Um, I think he's he does have the ability to go up over the top, and he's not super pacey, but he's got those long legs, and for some reason he just scores goals. He's been rejuvenated in Orlando even before his former coach, Oscar Pereja, joined him there because he was his coach at FC Dallas. Um, I think, what did he have last year, 10 or 11 goals? I mean, I think his best yep. year ever, career mm -hmm. year, for an Orlando team that wasn't very good. So Tesho just has the ability to kind of find the game and find the goal, and I think that that would be a good play by their back line and even by um, their central players when they're sitting deep to find Tesho. And if he's not going to go to goal and over the top, it's going to at least be find his feet and let him hold the ball up to then, you know, join in with others underneath him. I think Tesho just kind of takes whatever role is handed to him and he's run with it. He did last year and he has this year and now with Dom out, it's his role to have and to lose. With the consistent theme of Minnesota United not having too much possession, you, you would yes. again expect that to be the case here. Yeah. Is it a similar situation, Kendra, where no doubt that the ball will, will find its, it itself at the feet of the likes of Rosel, and, and we're assuming Mendes will start alongside the Spaniard in midfield. Um, it's all about delaying that secondary pass and denying that secondary pass into the likes of Pereira and, and Nani and, and again Mueller, who we're assuming will play. 
Yeah, I think so. Because if you can, and it's very similar that in that sense to San Jose for me. Like Correct, if you can yes. get, limit the ball from Jackson Yule, you cut out the entire offense. And for me, it's about Pereira. I think he's been fantastic on the ball. He rarely has a ball go astray. They find his feet nearly every time in midfield. He, he stays central in the center circle, but enough to the sides of the central circle to make himself available either, either for his backs or for Ori Rosell or Mendez if he gets that starting nod. I think um, Nani likes to stay out on that left-hand side but can still find the ability to create and combine. And you see him, these, even in the LAFC game, you saw them with confidence ping the ball just on the edge of the 18 and combine and find the runners underneath and then take one strike and the runners off the shoulder. So if you can limit the ball from Pereira, being able to find Mueller, being able to find Nani, being able to find Tesho Akindeli, you're going to really limit that offense. And I think it's, in that sense, it's very similar to San Jose. You cut out that central piece, that number 10, and it it's really, you know, is a conundrum for the opposition. And I think with Ja'Cory Hayes, if, if he's the one that's in there, and Jan Greush and Ozzy Alonso, they've done that so well, the ability to really neutralize the opposition's midfield that I wouldn't expect anything. And, you know, Luis Almeria tucks back in and helps out as well. So just his body, his presence, tucking back in underneath Tesho, maybe in between Tesho and Pereira, limits the opportunities in the space for the um, opposition to play with and, and find those feet and find those combinations. So that's the beauty of having an attacking player like a number nine like Luis, who is also willing to defend. Finally, do Minnesota United go into this one as underdogs? <laughs> no you knew it was coming no I know I, I don't and you know what it's interesting because I saw I heard a really interesting take about Minnesota and the underdogs and I think every other match you could have said that because everyone has pegged Columbus to be the champions before you know because of the, their form everyone had pegged San Jose to continue on because of their form and I don't blame Adrian Heath one bit for saying this underdog mentality and mantra, but now you have two teams that no one probably thought were going to be in the semifinal. So how do you pick which one's the underdog? And at some point, if I'm Adrian Heath, I flip the script. I say, we deserve to be here to my team in the locker room. Instead of saying, oh, no one thinks we can do it. We're the underdog. I would say we deserve to be in this position. We are good enough to be in the semifinals. We are good enough to be in the final. And let's show everybody what this team is really about. And you almost flip the script at this point in the tournament. And you go in with confidence and a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of cockiness because you've gone to this point in the tournament and you've done it pretty in a pretty delightful fashion, minus the KC game. But even that one showed something about this roster, that they could grind out a game where they probably didn't deserve to win, and they did it. So I think if you're Adrian Heath, you flip it now and you go, screw everybody else. We deserve to be here. We're not underdogs anymore. You know, Orlando can try to come and get us. You'd know better than me, but it's it's not the Minnesotan way, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody's got a little feistiness in them. You know, I'm sure you've met a few people along the way in Minnesota. It's that Minnesota nice, but you know what? When you need to be feisty, you can be feisty. And I think that's what the loons are going to do in this one. Yeah, let's hope so. Minnesota United against Orlando City then in the semifinals of the MLS's back tournament. Thursday evening, 7 p.m. Central. You can watch the game on ESPN2. And, of course, you can join us on the radio side of things on Score North. Who's going to win? Uh, Minnesota United. <laughs> Minnesota United, I think. <laughs>
You? Yeah, I think so too. I think it's going to be a really fun game, and I hope it's as fun as I'm thinking it's going to be because um, sometimes it can go the other way. But I'm, I'm picking Minnesota. I think it's going to be 2-1. Okay, 2-1. I'll go 3-1 Minnesota. And uh, as I said, you can join us on the radio side of things, Score North uh, or Sirius XM. Looking forward to your company for the MLS Is Back tournament semi-finals between Minnesota United and Orlando City. For all the latest on the loons down in Orlando, as always, keep it right here on MNUFC.com.